Far to the north in the land of Palestine, the Galilee area, in a little town called Nazareth, lived Joseph and Mary, a godly young couple. But they had a problem, a very big problem. As a godly young couple, they were aware of Micah 5.2, which the prophet said that the Christ child will be born in Bethlehem. Mary was carrying that child. Well, that seemed to be no major problem to us, if we leave it there, because Bethlehem is a city, Bethlehem, about seven miles northwest of Nazareth, called Bethlehem Zebulun, in the area of the tribe of Zebulun. About seven miles, that wouldn't be too far of a journey to make. So what was the difficulty? Well, the difficulty was this, that Micah had not said Bethlehem Zebulun, but Bethlehem Ephrata. Now think of Corvallis, Benton County, all right? Bethlehem Ephrata, the area of Ephrata. Well, where was that? That was about 85 miles far to the south of Nazareth, even a little south of Jerusalem itself. On top of this geographical situation, Mary was just about ready to give birth to her child. Therefore, it seemed like there would be no way that the child would be born in Bethlehem, Ephrata, which would mean what? That God gave wrong information to the prophet, and therefore God was wrong. Well, let's see what happens. Let me read to you Luke 2, verses 1 to 7, very familiar passage. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. That chapter begins with the words, in those days, the days of King Herod, that had been mentioned in chapter 1 of Luke. In those days, a decree went out. What is a decree? Well, it's a command. It's a law. It's something that is demanded to be done. That's what a decree is. And who did it come from? It came from Caesar Augustus, the mighty ruler of the whole Roman Empire. As a young boy, known as Octavius, he was showered with gifts and honors by his granduncle, Julius Caesar. When Julius was assassinated in 44 B.C., Octavius was named his official son and heir. 
He reigned as emperor from 31 B.C. to 14 A.D. He was uh, also, during his climb to power, very ruthless when he took over as monarch. But once in power, he began to mellow a little bit, and he even became sort of a father of his country. It was during his time as a wise administrator and a very good organizer that a time was called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, which indeed, at that time during his reign, there was an unprecedented calm and peace. Caesar is the title for a ruler or a dictator or king, so Augustus had it, Julius had it, and other kings of the Roman Empire had that title, Caesar. Augustus came from a word meaning august, or, or honored, or revered. So he eventually became known as Caesar Augustus. And it's this powerful, very famous historical man who issued this decree, and it had to do with a list of names. We'll say more about that in just a moment. So for our purposes this morning, let's call it Caesar's Christmas list. We all have Christmas lists of one kind or another. I think as we years are going by, sending out Christmas cards and so on is kind of fading away. It's not quite as popular as it used to be. But we send out newsletters, we use the email or whatever. And we have lists of names of relatives and friends and uh, people we work with and we want to send a card to them. We want to bring expression and uh, greetings to them. And so we still have Christmas lists. But of course, we also have all kinds of lists on our computer, don't we? And we keep getting these things popping up all the time. People have our name and they send us this and they send us that. How many of you got anything from my pillow? <laughs> I get that every day, about two or three, four of them. They have my name on a list. The IRS has your names on a list. Caesar Augustus wanted something like that. We read that the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed or registered. This would be a census, an enrollment, designed to verify for Caesar Augustus the names of his subjects for future taxation. Things don't change that much, do they? The IRS is still around. It was around at the time of Caesar Augustus. He needed to know how many there were and where they were and who they were. And coming from an absolute ruler like Caesar Augustus, the men who received that information and were told to go out and implement it, they had to obey that. And when the subjects that received the word heard that decree, they had to obey it. No ifs, ands, or buts. No excuses. You had to do it. That was the decree. Now, it does say all the world. It doesn't mean everything on the planet Earth, but all of the Roman Empire, which at that time was very extensive. It was termed the empire of the whole Earth. The far north, it was by the Danube and the Rhine, all the way down the Sahara Desert. It was from the Atlantic to the Euphrates River. And way off in the southeast corner of this mighty empire 
was Palestine. And down at the south end of Palestine was Judea. And in Judea was this area called Ephrata. And in this little place, Ephrata, was this little tiny village called Bethlehem, or Breadtown. Caesar Augustus probably had no idea that thing even existed. Way off there. Nobody knew about that from Caesar's viewpoint. Verse 2. Governor of Syria. Now, some critics tried, have tried to find error in this. A long time ago, they said, what do you mean, Corinthian? Who is he? There's no evidence he ever existed. But archaeology and scholars have uncovered the fact that Corinius was really a historical figure. He's called here the governor of Syria, which would have included the area of Judea, all that area to the southeast of the empire. Quirinius was a prominent Roman of his day. He ranked very high in esteem with Caesar Augustus himself. The Roman historian Tacitus refers to him repeatedly, and Suetonius and Josephus, some other historians of the day, uh, made mention of him. Inscriptions have been found indicating his political service was from about 12 B.C. to A.D. 16. So he's a real man, a real character, and Luke takes the time to refer to him. Notice he speaks about the first registration, distinguishing from at least the second one, perhaps several others, evidence of Luke's historical accuracy. He not only mentions this guy, Corinius, but he says, I'm telling you, this happened during the first registration. Not the second, not the third, not the seventh, not the tenth. It was the first registration. Caesar's demand for this list in that part of the empire put things in motion. But neither Caesar Augustus nor Quirinius realize that they are at the tail end of a series of divine dominoes. Now we've all played dominoes at one time or another, and after you've played the game, what do we like to do? We like to take the domino and tilt it on its edge. And then we put one here. One here, one here, one here. Might make it look like a snake or something. Now what do we do? Hit that first one. They all fall down. God set the first domino in Genesis 3.15. And then he added other dominoes as we go through the Old Testament age about the coming of the Christ. And finally, we are at the point where, in terms of this text, there's one domino standing and that's the decree that went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world, all this empire should be taxed or registered. Verse 3. And all went to be registered, that is, all who received this official decree, each to his own town. Remember, we talked about the decree. You had to obey it. Nobody could say, I'm not going to pay attention to that. You would suffer severe consequences if you disobeyed. Exactly what was this registration that's mentioned here? Well, it was an official written thing of one's name, one's age, your profession or your occupation, the property you might own, 
your fortune, how much money you had, and something about your family, all with a view to an assessment, to gathering taxes. But even a master ruler like the emperor, Caesar Augustus, took into consideration the local customs and life of his empire. He did not expect that all people would come to Rome. They do say all roads lead to Rome, but he didn't expect this big influx of people to come from all over the empire to Rome. So you could go kind of different areas where you lived. So Mary and Joseph then would be going down to Bethlehem, each to his own town. Now, that was good news for Joseph and Mary. First of all, they didn't have to make a long journey to Rome. They'd go to the hometown. But it was bad news because it would involve what? A very strenuous journey of about 85 miles to go down to that area. Remember, she's expecting a child. Yet, in doing that, they rejoiced in their hearts because what was the reaction when they got this knock on the door, as it were? I have a word from the emperor of the Roman Empire, Caesar Augustus himself. What is it? You must go back to your hometown to register. Thank you. Goodbye. He leaves. There they are standing with this. Wow, look at And Joseph and Mary looked at one another. This is how our child is going to be born in Bethlehem, Ephrata. We have to go, regardless of the hardship. That's how the Lord is going to bless us in the deliverance of this child in Bethlehem, Ephrata. And so a great human migration could be seen throughout the empire. And those in the Galilee area and other places would begin to make their move. They'd probably pass one another in the roads, one going up north, one going south, and so forth. But Luke's attention is especially upon that young couple in Nazareth. Verse 4, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, or his engaged uh, wife-to-be, or his one that he had committed himself to, to, to Mary. And so there they are. Imagine their discomforts in that journey, the bumping up and down uh, for Mary, especially on the donkey, the aches and pains, the, the fatigue, the dust, the dirt, the, the long, harsh travel. And then once they got near there, they had to climb a winding trail, winding road, a path to get up where Bethlehem was on a high, high level of, of elevation. And so in this passage here, we find that they arrived then in Breadtown, or Bethlehem. But Mary knew that that journey had begun a long time ago. Way back, especially in the time of Abraham, 1900 years before this. In her song, in chapter 1, in verses 54-55, she says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy 
as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Remember Joseph, Mary would say. Remember God made that wonderful promise to Abram, our forefather, that through him would come the promised deliverer to his family. And we're part of that family. And now that's about to happen. Right here in Bethlehem, Ephrata, just where God said it would happen. Now, Jerusalem also had the title of the city of David. But Jesus was not to be born in that city, that, that city of power and prestige. He was born in this little out-of-the-way place called Bethlehem. But it was the city of David, because here David raised his sheep. He had been born, tended his sheep, participated in the feasts of his people. Joseph was of that house and lineage. His family records were in that place, in Bethlehem. And so we find them here. And why are they here? Because the emperor had demanded that they be there. Verse 5, Mary was with child well along in her pregnancy. Yet although women in the Roman Empire were subject to certain taxes was not always necessary that they be listed in a registration. In other words, it was not necessary for her to go to Bethlehem Ephrata in person. So why was she even there? Why didn't Joseph just go by himself? Well, here's some answers to that. Mary herself appears to be a, being a descendant of David. Romans 1.3, descended from David according to the flesh. 2 Timothy 2.8, Mary was the offspring of David, or Jesus was. Through Joseph, Christ was legally in David's royal line. Through Mary, he was biologically a blood descendant of David. It's quite possible then that for legal reasons, she did have to go. Perhaps she was the sole heiress of her tribe even, that she just had to go. But I think there's some other reasons why she went. First of all, Joseph would not have wanted to have left her alone there to continue to receive scorn and ridicule as she was receiving. He desired to separate her from all the gossips of Nazareth. But of course, Mary went with Joseph because why? They knew the child had to be born in Bethlehem Ephrata. Why? Why there? Because Caesar had demanded that it be so. So there they come. As a result of this registration, this taxation, the Son of God in human flesh was about ready to be born, ready to enter the world and dwell among us, ready to begin His substitutionary work of salvation on behalf of sinners. From the viewpoint of His humanity, this was the beginning that one day would lead to the cross. But it had to begin there in Bethlehem. And think of this. Upon his birth, Mary and Joseph would have registered Jesus right there in the family records in Bethlehem, meaning that it was through Caesar Augustus that the Son of God, in human flesh, his name was put down in the registration roll. Interesting to contemplate that. 
Let me share some lessons with you, what we considered this morning. First of all, our text is a wonderful passage that can easily be overlooked. You know, we read it, there's just some historical things there. But they were brought about, these events, by two decrees. Number one, the decree of Caesar Augustus. You got to go. But there was a second decree, the divine decree of a far mightier ruler, a far mightier king, a far mightier monarch than Caesar Augustus. And that was the Lord God Almighty. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, number seven, excuse me, the shorter catechism, question seven, questions ask, what are the decrees of God? You know that God has his decrees. Caesar Augustus had his, the Lord has his decrees. And the answer to that question is, the decrees of God are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Meaning that Caesar Augustus did exactly what God decreed he should do. Even though at the moment, Augustus was not thinking about God at all. Charles Spurgeon said, Autocratical Caesars are but puppets, moved with invisible strings, mere drudges to the king of kings. Proverbs 21.1 The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it where he will. Someone else has said that Caesar Augustus was little more than a wisp of lint on the prophetic page. (laughs) A pawn in the hand of the commander of Operation Arrival. You ever thought about yourself as you go about your daily lives and the things you do, especially the big things, the big decisions you make, the places you go, the people you talk with, your job, that God has decreed all that. God has decreed that you who are in this room today would be here today, even though each of you had it on your schedule and you made the preparations, you said today's Sunday, let's get ready to go to church and so on and so forth. We go about our lives But the Lord has decreed that's exactly how it happens. Another lesson I think is important from this passage. Luke chapter 1, we saw the angel of the Lord appeared to Zacharias. Also, Gabriel appeared to Mary. The angels would soon appear to the shepherds. So as Joseph and Mary trudged up the road to Bethlehem Ephratah and carried out their responsibilities to the uh, leader of the empire, already heaven had been invading earth, even before the Christ child was born, or right after he had been born. Eternity was touching space and time. And that which could not be done the birth of the Christ child in Bethlehem, Ephrathah, what? It had been done. It was done. There was a time when Joseph and Mary said, 
this is terrible. How, how is this going to happen? The Christ child is to be born in Bethlehem Ephrathah, but we're way up here. We can't go over to Bethlehem Zebulun. That'd be easier. Yet here it had happened. God's decrees are often challenging as we experience them, as we favor a certain situation, experience certain situations. It's not easy to always realize God has foreordained that I go through this. And we can take comfort in knowing that the Lord has complete control of our lives. And he knows what he's doing ultimately for our good. Another thing to keep in mind from this text this is not the only list in Scripture. There are other census figures. There are lists of genealogies. But over in Revelation 21, 27, it tells of a list in the Lamb's Book of Life. The names of many people have been or are being registered therein, but there are many whose names do not appear at all. And I would ask you who are here this morning, does your name appear in the Lamb's Book of Life? Are you registered there? If I were to be able to go look at that, give me what's your name? Okay, let me see who's here. I don't see it. I hope that's not true. I hope all of you who are hearing my voice have registered your name, as it were, in the Lamb's Book of Life through your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who gave his life for sinners like you and for me. The gospel declares that one name can be put there through that faith and trust in Jesus. And then a concluding thought. Are you concerned about your name being registered on so many lists, as I mentioned earlier? And with all these lists of names, and you're only just one name, do you feel like you're a very small cog in this huge machine of human life? What do I matter? What can I possibly do to accomplish something good in this life? What can I possibly do to please God, the great God Almighty? Do you find yourselves at times questioning God's ways and His plans? Then don't forget this text. How glorious, almighty, and all-wise is the true living God of heaven and earth. Our Savior and our Lord, Jesus of Bethlehem Ephrata, the Son of David, the Son of God, Lord of the Roman Empire, Lord of all history, Lord of the computer age, our highly technological age. The Lord of your life and mine. Yet accomplishing his sovereign purposes through people like Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and Luke and Quirinius and you and me, and yes, even to Caesar Augustus, the emperor of the Roman Empire, who demanded a list.
Join me in prayer. Lord, in Scripture, you reveal time and time again how you bring about events all around the great plan you had of sending your Son to be our Savior and our Lord. So as we look at our lives this very day, may we take comfort to know that you are concerned about us, that you love us, that you desire to use us in your kingdom work, in the life of the church, wherever it might be. So may we be comforted in our hearts to know that there is a God who decrees all things for our good. And we shall praise and thank you throughout eternity. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.